episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 59. This week we catch up with Mitch Johnson up in Queensland. He has a really nice 1972 K10 long bed four-wheel drive pickup. So we have a great chat with Mitch. Um, once again, I, I struggle sometimes with a bit of technical stuff with internet and, and that sort of thing. And, and we tried to record this over the computer and uh, his internet just wasn't quite strong enough, unfortunately. So we had to go back to recording it over the phone. So look, really good episode. You just have to bear with it. There's a little bit of a um, static in the background and I've done everything I can to clean it up. But I think the episode's worth listening to. It's, it's fantastic. And Mitch is doing a, an amazing job on this truck. And uh, for all the Chevy lovers out there, I know we've had two Ford episodes in a row. So got you caught up and and everyone else you know the dodge and international and you know bedford guys um definitely still keen to get you guys involved and you know if you've got a cool build that's a little bit different than the chev and ford crew uh give me a shout out and come and jump on board i i get in contact with so many people and it it's interesting a lot of people just don't want to be involved with doing an interview or they don't they don't know anything about it so if you have a cool bedford or you have a cool dodge or an international or a comma or or whatever it is that you've got and, um, and you think we should have a chat to you on the podcast, just give me a shout. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're at. Uh, always interested to hear a great story about a great truck. So that's where we're at. Now, I've got an update for you too. The Bright Rod Run has officially been cancelled for the second year in a row, uh, which obviously just sucks balls big time. Um, you know, Victoria's just been given about another five weeks of Melbourne's lockdown, uh, Geelong and the surf coast, I think have just got into lockdown again. So, you know, things aren't looking great and, and there's no way that they could run it. And unfortunately, there's no way that I can run uh, the show that we want to do in November either. So take this as an official cancellation. It really sucks. I was hoping that, you know, we could still do something on a smaller scale and just have it as a Victorian, maybe a Victorian show and, and you know, just do a test run for next year. But I've been speaking to the Wodonga Council and the amount of shit that's involved in, in trying to get an event to run right now. You have to do all these COVID safe plans and the, the Victorian government have to approve it, which they're not really doing at the moment because they don't want events to run. So bit of a pain in the ass. Um, certainly not the end of it. We're going to have it, whether it's later in the year or, or same time next year. Stay tuned, absolutely. But uh, look, I apologise. And you know anyone that's booked accommodation and that sort of thing, um, you know, I hope you can reach out and get it back or or if you can come down, I mean, you know, the Bright Rod Run's cancelled, but I, I know that there'll still be hundreds of people who already have accommodation booked. There'll be hot rods everywhere in town. If you're in the region, um, give me a shout and, you know, maybe we can even just do a little cars and coffee for the pickups. Um, if there's enough people around, I'd still love to do something like that. Anyway, uh, enough jibber-jabbering from me. Uh, once again, yeah, Mitch Johnson, really nice 72 Chevy K10. Hope you enjoy this interview. So, Mitch, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Pretty excited, mate. Yours is the first four-wheel drive we've had on the show. So, you're building a 72 um, Chevy K10. So, thanks for joining us, mate. Hey, how you going, guys? Um, yeah. Excited to uh, talk a bit about my truck and stuff like that. Um, never really done anything like this before. So, yeah. Mm, cool. And uh, so you, you're in Queensland. Whereabouts are you on the Goldie or, or whereabouts are you located? Um, sort of uh, sort of south side of Brisbane, sort of heading towards Bow Desert. Yeah, nice and sunny up there at the moment, I imagine. Sunny, mate. Um, gets cold and it gets hot. Few and far between. It's a bit like Melbourne weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it's um, starting to warm up down here, so it's nice. 
So, um, Mitch, why don't you, you know, we always start off with a bit of history just to sort of get your background. So what, what would be your early days automotively? You know, was your dad a car guy or, you know, did, were you into cars when you were younger or is this something that you sort of come about a bit later on? Uh, mate, always um, the old boy used to do a bit of drag racing um, back in the day. Had a um, Sandman. Uh, I think it was a WB with um, I think it had a 350 in it. Um, did 11s back then, which was pretty quick, I guess. Um, sold that before I came along, and yeah, just had always just growing up around working on cars and stuff. I've always sort of been a bit more of a four-drive person than a two-wheel drive person sort of thing. Um, I've had, you know, lots of pretty extreme off-road cars. I had a trial that was pretty heavily modified and did a lot of rock crawling and crap like that. Um, yeah, and then just sort of stumbled across this car. wasn't really looking for it, actually. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's often often the case. Um, so what, what would have been your first car out of school? Uh, first car of school was a Hilux, full drive. Yep. Yeah, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing cool as such, like, a, you know, C10 or anything like that, or what I've got now, or, yeah, it was just, you know, apprentice wages and all that sort of thing, so just get me to A to B. Yeah, nothing wrong with a Hilux, I started, my second car was a Hilux, a bloody brilliant truck. Yeah, mate, yeah, reliable. I've actually just bought another one, as a, um, full drive, so yeah, a bit more modern one though, 2016. But, um, yeah, just to do beach trips and stuff like that because that's what us Queenslanders love doing, going to Fraser Island and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Beautiful out there. So, so yeah, tell us tell us a bit about this truck. I mean, how did you come across it? I imagine just from, uh, from what I see, it looks like it was someone else's Pride and Joy project and, and uh, maybe not such a good story behind it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. So my uh, mate at work, my electrician, um, one day I was, I'm, a, I'm a refrigeration mechanic. So uh, yeah, doing a supermarket install and he, I sort of was told, you know, he, you know, he told me about the build as, as I was going along. This was back in like 2015 sort of thing. And he told me about the build as I was going along and I uh, just didn't really have any interest. I just, yeah, didn't, you know, he told me about it. Oh, yeah, cool, whatever. And then um, one day we're standing at the switchboard and he just says to me, oh, I'm probably going to sell me K10. And I don't know what part of my brain was, what I was thinking that day, but I said, oh, show us a photo of it. And showed me a photo. I said, oh, what do you want for that? And he told me a price and I said, oh, shit, I can probably afford that. And anyway, I got him to Google and seen what the potential was of like what it would, you know, finished product as such. And um, really liked it and, yeah, basically, I think I bought it the following week. Awesome, awesome. So, so from what I can work out, he he had the chassis built with the engine on it, getting transferred to your panel beaters or something like that, and or to his panel beater, and then what happened? The the trailer rolled or the chassis came off or something? Yeah, yeah, mate. Yep. Um, don't know how you figured that out, but that's that's literally what happened. The whole trailer went over. Yeah, so he was he had the like the cab and all that blasted and painted. That's why the cab and all that was unharmed because it was still sitting at the paint shop, ready to be mated to the chassis as such, and you know lined up. And the tub, the tub and the bonnet are the only things that weren't painted. They never got to get painted. Yeah, so they never got they never got painted. So they're still not painted. Their bodywork is done as such, but they've been sitting in prime for a couple of years. So me being the perfectionist that I am, it's going to be getting blasted in a couple of weeks and going back. You know, back to bit raw and re-panel beaded and all that sort of thing. Um, there's no rust or anything in it, no major dints or anything like that. So it's fairly straight. But um, yeah, you're hitting that on the head. He uh, put the uh, put the engine and chassis on the trailer and got a bit of a wobble up on the highway, towing it, and it just rolled his whole van and trailer and chassis the whole lot. The motor actually separated from the the gearbox and the motor separated from the transfer case and got thrown down the highway. Um, and, yeah, um, it was pretty sad. And I guess he just lost interest in it from there and sat for a couple of years and um, he moved house. He was moving house. He needed the room and probably needed the bunny. And just, yeah, that's when he was looking at moving it on and he had someone else interested as well. 
uh, some sort of a car building shop that was just probably going to build it and flip it. So I wanted to beat them at it. So I said, oh, well, I'd rather sell it to you than them, so let me know if you want it. And yeah, that's what I did. Went and bought it and turns out the chassis was quite um, quite twisted and bent and stuff, so I took it to a chassis straightening company in Toowoomba called Straight Line. Um, they're actually a semi-truck chassis straightening company and um, they put it on their thing and you know, cut, moved, welded it all back together and they reckon they got it you know, as square as they possibly could have got it, probably better than factory. They've you know, got technology these days that they didn't have back then. Yeah, that's a that's a wild story. I, I yeah, I feel for your electrician. I mean, you can see by the work he'd done to it, he's he's put a lot of hard work and, and money into it, and I, I can't even imagine how you'd feel when like not only your work van gets flipped, but you know your your pride and joy gets busted up. It would really take the wind out of your sails, I suppose. Oh, mate, I, if I had a if I had a kick to the gut like that right now, with how far I am through it, like obviously I'm a lot further than he was through it, but you know, I, the last oh, year and a half, almost every weekend and spare minute of my life, I've spent on that car, to building it myself. Um, really, the only thing I didn't didn't get done was the motor. I left that to the hands of a professional, so I got the motor worked a little bit, nothing too major, it's just a 350 Chevy. Um, but yeah, went just, yeah, TIG welded all my own stainless steel exhaust system and all that on it. And yeah, so that's the only real thing that I sourced somebody to do because I didn't want it to be something that was going to have problems with down the track. No, absolutely. And do you know the history on the truck? Like, do you know where, did he import it or was it already here in Australia? Because it's a, it's a left-hand drive import, isn't it? Yep, Breck. So he was on his honeymoon in America. Uh, actually, these particular this particular family is actually known for um, importing American cars. Um, they've, uh, they still do. He had a C10 before it. Um, his brother's just bought in a, um, uh, I think it's a, like what they call a K20 Suburban. It's a square body. I'm not a square body person at all, but it's a square body. Um, it's all drive. Uh, so I think it's about an 80s model. Um, but yeah, he was over there. I think it's Californian truck. Well, it's not Californian. I think there's actually a photo on my Instagram of the uh, parked in the driveway that I picked up. I think it's got Californian plates on it. Um, so she was a, you know, no snow car as such. Mm, yeah, perfect. Oh, it's a, a great platform. So so you got hold of it, what are we looking at now, probably two years ago? Uh, yeah, so it would have been 2019. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and um, it was interesting reading through some of your posts. You know, you were sort of, you kept sort of saying that you, you're on a bit of a mission to get it finished for your birthday, which was, I think, September a year ago. And um, and it's an interesting story. Everyone we talk to on the podcast, you know, you got an idea of what you think it's going to cost and you got an idea of how long you think it's going to take. And, I mean, obviously, you've you've had some setbacks, as is always the case. And, you know, I'm sure COVID's not helped anything either. But, a bit of a longer road than you thought it would be. Yeah, um, they used to. The two brothers used to laugh at me. Oh, it's going to be done by this month, and it's going to be done by my birthday. Oh, it's going to be done by Christmas, which was last year. Um, and yeah, mate, you're spot on. Just trying to get past out of the state. I, I, I must admit, I haven't had too much drama with that. Um, but yeah, uh, the, just I don't know. Just I didn't give up. I didn't get lazy I just it's just unrealistic timelines mate I've uh, yeah I've never built a car from the ground up as much before um, I used to be into mini mokes actually my old boy bought a moke uh, complete running registered from Gympie north in north uh, north of Queensland so that's two hours north of Queen, uh, Brisbane and um, we did it up a bit and you know this is when I was probably 13, 14, we used to have a house in Rainbow Beach, a holiday house, so we'd always take it up there and we'd, we'd actually drive the mini moke on the beach and everything like that and surprisingly never get stuck. Um, we had great fun of that and then when I got my licence, I was like, I want to buy a mini moke for whatever reason and Dad probably played a big part in that and yeah, he uh, found me one and I went and bought it, it was about three and a half grand driving registered and all that and 
drove it around for a little bit and floor was rusted out and stuff like that. So I um, did the whole strip down, cut the floor out, lost interest for a bit, found a galvanised body, which is uh, 1980 onwards in the Californians. So I bought that and, uh, yeah, sandblasted that, repainted that, got it all pristine and it's all sitting in the shed right now, like still fully painted up and all that with all new wiring harness and all that stuff sitting in it, but she's not done. Um, the old boy said to me, oh, well, if you're not going to touch it, you've got the case in now, I'll, I'll buy that, all, you know, all your three mates off you as such and um, transfer all my running gear into your body and strip my body down and such. And say, oh, yeah, right, oh, but, you know, he's not getting any younger and he doesn't have the motivation anymore. So I think he's actually started to like the American trucks a bit more now and um, looking at might be moving on his mokes and he wants to sort of get the same error C tenders mine and I don't actually know the name of the dude that owns car builders, but I've been talking to him a bit on uh, Marketplace, and uh, he's actually just acquired a blue 71 model, same as mine, same colour scheme and everything like that, and I'm trying to sort of buy that off him, but he's in no rush to sell. Yeah, I had him on the, I had him on the podcast. Yeah, it's Brennan. Yeah, he was on the podcast uh, a fair while ago, and yeah, we were talking about all his sound deadening stuff, and uh, yeah, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, mate, he seems really nice down to earth, and uh, he was going to buy some... Buy some, uh, buy a seat cover off me. I had a, I got a seat cover for sale and ended up, um, I don't know, biting the bullet and just buying it all from the states instead, which is fine, whatever. But uh, he, um, yeah, he was showing me what he was going to put that seat cover in, and I said, oh, you want to sell it? And he goes, well, I actually bought the white truck and the blue one came with it. I said, oh well, so you don't want the blue one? Then sell me the blue one, but you name your price, and he wouldn't name his price. He must want to hang on to it. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I find it really hard to let stuff go, even though you may not really think you're going to use it, but you're like, oh, it's so hard to get it again. So I think that's something that tends to happen. Yeah, especially with COVID, mate. Like, we can't just jump on planes and go to America anymore and put crap in a container and fly home. Oh, it's so frustrating. I, I've got a uh, 49 GMC Suburban sitting in Texas, and uh, it's looking like it's going to get shipped back here empty because I just... I don't want to buy stuff to fill it up with that I can't physically see and make sure it's good stuff because I've I've seen the crap that's out there and you know I'd love to take advantage and do a bit of a trip over there and fill it up with like good guards and things and bring them back here and and sell them on to someone to finish their project and pay for my holiday but right now I don't see that happening. Nah, no, mate. But yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. That's the second that I can go back to America. I've been to America and. Um yeah, I um, would like to probably put in a 40-foot and jam two in there and, you know, fill, fill everything that I've bought for the K10 that I own now, put it in the back of it so that I could build the same car again or, you know, another car and sell it on, like you said, to pay for your holiday kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's a good fun way to do it. I, I spent a couple of weeks over there driving around getting parts for my truck and and it was such an awesome time and you know by the time I did that trip got the bits I needed and got a bunch of extra bits that I've sold off I've definitely saved money over buying you know like I got a a Cummins diesel engine out of a Dodge Ram you know straight out of the Ram that was driving that I bought and with a transmission and radiator and you know everything in that I needed Versus what I would have paid for one just off Gumtree or whatever here in Australia, it was it was about the same price. So you know, I figure I've won. Yeah, mate. I actually uh, remember listening to your podcast about the uh, putting the Cummins, which is damn cool. I'm a big six BT lover. Something I always wanted to do in a patrol and still, still may do one day because, in my opinion, that's the best of both worlds in the off road world. Just six BT with a you know patrol with you know good running gear and a car that fits Australian tracks as opposed to a Dodge Ram. I know a few boys have done the 6 BT conversions and they make really good power with P-pumps and all that sort of thing, which you, I'm sure you're well on top of by now. Yeah, yeah, i got the P-pump and, um, yeah, it's it's controversial, I reckon. The Not controversial, but, you know, there's there's so many people who are for or against the Cummins in the, in the patrol just because of its claimed weight. I, I mean, they're not that much heavier, but they're definitely bigger. But, uh, yeah, I've got a mate here in Aubrey that's got one in a in a GU wagon and you know it works it works great so you know as long as you can 
as long as you don't put too much power through, you know, and you, you beef up the right things, they they can do the job. Yeah, mate. Just three hundred horsepower is very achievable, as you would know, in one of those. And as long as you're not an idiot, you won't blow the rear dip center up. And they're only fifty kilos heavier than a than a TD forty two anyway. So, you know, fifty kilos can be shed somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. A lot of a lot of guys driving four wheel drives probably should shed fifty kilos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my my patrol is like four point four point two ton, um, two hundred fifty horsepower TD forty two, and um, yeah, like there was no uh, even at four point two ton, it was no slug, but uh, would have been nice to have had a six BT in it. I wish I kind of just kept the car and put a six BT in it, but it's a lot of money, and it'd be it, it's going to work out cheaper for me to sell. It worked out cheaper for me to sell the car and start again, as such. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the the Carmen's conversions, especially if you need to get a shop to do it, like you, you're talking thirty grand. It's it's a lot of money. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money. I definitely um, would give it a crack myself, um, whether it be Cummins or Duramax. Probably a Cummins for the easeability, and um, that way then you don't have to lift the cover up every time you want to do a, a tappet cover or a head gasket. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be good. I can't wait to jam mine into my chassis and actually fire the thing up. It hasn't run since. I was driving it around a paddock in Kansas, so it's uh, it'll be good one day. So you're you're running a just a small block 350 that was in the chassis. Did did you give any consideration to changing that, or you were happy with that plan and just decided to put the EFI in it? Um, to be honest, mate, back on the six BT, I was uh, hell bent on going six BT in it because of how easy it is to do the conversion. As um, as you would know, it's, I think it's as simple as engine mounts or a cross member or something like that. I didn't look into it too much, but Americans would have it dialed, I'm sure. I know there's a, I actually follow American in a uh, K10 that's got a 6BT in it, and um, it hauls ass. Yeah, there's another guy, what does he call himself? Uh, Cole, Colcart, I think, at Colcart. He's got a, uh, it's like a 6872 C10 with a Cummins in it, and the thing is wild. It's so sick. Is it the, on his Instagram, I think it's like doing a wheel stand? Uh, no, I don't know. This His is bare metal, so it's a really cool looking... Um, I'll have a quick oh, look okay. No, I haven't seen that. I might have to give you a message about that after this podcast and give him a follow. Yeah, Cole Cart. So it's Cole is like Roland Cole, and then Cart, C-A-R-T, underscore. So at Cole Cart, underscore. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty wicked weapon. So, yeah, so that was a consideration, but you, you just decided, you know, and I'd probably, a, you know, to some degree, a smart decision now that you probably realise how much money you've spent on the truck. Yeah, look, um, for what the 350 Chevros me, even with the fuel injection, um, look, it often crosses my mind, should I have just gone LS? Um, I trust what my engine builder says, and, you know, he... He hates LSs, other than the fact that they're cheap for parts, but he's, he just reckons they're such a, a badly designed motor from factory, from GM. I don't know if there's truth behind that, but, you know, he just said, you know, you've got the original motor, just get it rebuilt. It's going to be a cheapest option now. It's going to do what you need it to do, which is just go cruising on Sundays, you know, whatever. Um, so it was a smart I already had the motor, you know, um, for the sake of a couple of grand to get him to rebuild it and then a couple of grand for the... I went all out and did the, the full Holly sniper system with the HyperSpark, the, the distributor, um, yeah, the, the coil and all that and spent some proper time researching for... And when I say some proper time, a whole year before I wired it up. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just a proven reliable motor and, you know, the, the Holly sniper... I haven't dealt with it personally, but I, I've heard a lot of good things about them. So, you know, you, you can't really go wrong. It's about as modern as you want to make a small block. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I'm on the forums and all that stuff, and there's Facebook pages for them. And the only thing I can seem to see that ever goes wrong with them is just the um, interference when you run your wires near coil packs or spark plug leads and stuff like that, which any computer's going to have problems with. And, you know, that's why I just... I actually chopped up the factory heart, like chopped up Holly's plug and play harness. It's, I can tell you right now, anyone that's thinking about putting a Holly sniper in, it is not plug and play, and it is not easy. But it's not hard if you don't rush it. Just plan, 
run your, you know, run the right wiring in the right directions and all that, and it's it'll turn out a really nice neat installation. And mine fired three after three turns, it fired up straight away and ran beautifully. So yeah, and there's plenty of support out there. With I've got some American dude that reached out to me and he emails me tunes and stuff like that. And he actually has a shop in America and he just emails me tunes, tells me to load them in, do this, do that, and yeah. So he's been a really big support for the holy sniper for me yeah that's awesome and you you look like you're um you know you you bought a new wiring harness for the truck and and shipped that over but you know you've spliced bits out of that and added bits to it and you you seem like you know for a bloke who's a i guess a plumber you seem like a bit of a wiring guru you, you've done a lot of that in your time yeah well um my trade does have electrical in it so um do do a bit of wiring um it's only restricted electrical so um I don't, you know, wire up switchboards is what my electrician would do. But, um, yeah, mate, I've done canopy fit-outs, like uh, four-drive touring canopy fit-outs for myself and, you know, just um, learnt good and bad habits over the years and taught myself sort of thing. Like, taught myself how to weld, TIG weld, taught myself how to MIG weld. Um, you know, when I'm in the motorbikes too, taught myself how to pull down my motorbike engines and, you know, because I've got, like, um, the... The uh, higher performance, like dirt bikes, like your, your WRs and YZs and KXs and that sort of thing. So I taught myself how to do all that sort of stuff. So I guess I just self-teach myself and, you know, do a bit of research and a bit of YouTubing and all that. And, you know, they say the old YouTube mechanic. But, um, yeah, um, as far as wiring goes, mate, yeah, I just see what, you know, what other people do as such and um, try to copy it and... Um, for neatness, and then um, yeah, but you get on. I bought a bought a um, American Auto wire harness. Um, they're upgraded one with extra extra um, circuits. Basically, spent about two weeks um, cutting it up and cutting all the holly one up and planning basically where 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 I needed power and all that sort of thing and making it neat and hidden so. There's no wiring visible in the car anywhere. Um, you've basically got to snap your neck and look under the dash. That's where everything is wired to. So there's no relays in the engine bay. There's no battery in the engine bay. No, the only visible wire in my whole engine bay is the one that goes to the Holly Sniper water temp sender, which I couldn't do anything about it because it's on the top of the intake manifold. Yeah, that's that'll be a really nice clean. That, that's something that I, you know, I'm building my truck and I... To me, it's a budget build. I'm not spending a fortune on it. But the more and more I work on it, the more you you know you go, oh, I could just do this, and that'd be a little bit neater, a bit nicer, and maybe I'll powder coat the chassis, maybe I won't. And and one of the things I really really enjoy seeing is when you you know someone opens the bonnet and and the engine bay is just really really super clean. And and I know a lot of the guys who do like the lowered trucks because they'll put the um, you know they got the basically got their tires where everything else should be they've got the you know the inner guards are, are massive and you go from inner guard just to engine and exhaust and there's nothing else and it just it looks really really clean and and i can see that that's sort of a similar look to what you're going for and i i just think it you know i i open the bonnet on my land cruiser and it it's horrible to look at you know whereas you look at something that's just this everything's hidden it's really neat it's it's such a nice finish yeah i agree mate yeah like no no matter how neat your wiring is, I still reckon no wiring visible is neater, you know? Like, yeah. I've done everything on that engine bay and car to what well, my opinion is the highest standard. Um, you know, there's no uh, crimping where necessary, but soldering where, where it can be and, you know, all speed flow fittings and um, fuel lines and vacuum lines and, all that sort of thing, kept the rubber hoses to a minimum. Um, obviously, I did put a vintage air, um, air conditioning system in it, so they'll put their um, full uh, just plug-and-play as such, bolt-in system. It just it was a piece of piece to fit, one of my best purchases, and uh, that actually put my build back three... Uh, that, put, that put my build back three months at the start of this year, so um, I do remember hearing on your podcast... To talking to the fellow down um, in Victoria that sells them, that he was having trouble getting parts. Well, mate, a big problem with 
they couldn't get parts to build kits themselves, so they couldn't even post them out. So I paid for the kit something like the 6th of January this year and didn't get it till like oh, April, I think. Wow. The minute they posted it, but only a week. So that was the build time as such, and they sent temporary air vents and stuff like that until that they could get the correct air vents for the dash and stuff like that, which was, you know, all good and well, but I didn't really know that they were temporary. I didn't completely read the instructions. I put them in and I thought, oh, fuck, this is, this is ordinary, but it is what it is. And then I get an email from them saying, you know, oh, we're, we've got these back in stock now. We'll be sending it through to you. I said, oh, yeah, cool. And sure enough, they've just sent, you know, LMC truck style factory air vents for the car. Yeah, awesome. And I mean, you know, I've, I spent six summers in Queensland and I'm very well aware of the requirement for air conditioning up there and uh, I don't think you'd want to build a truck without it, would you? No, nah, mate, I, I actually was going to build it there and my electrician specifically bought a non-factory air truck and he wasn't going to put air conditioning in it. I don't know the reasoning behind that. I think he's C10 before and he had a, the same error C10. I think it might have had air conditioning. I mean, if he's comparing it to the factory look air conditioning yeah that does look crap you know you got your tx valve and all that crap hanging in under the bonnet there and big ugly air boxes and stuff like that but um yeah for the for the sake of what three three grand including taxes landed with compressors and lines and condensers and all that uh, i couldn't fault it no no definitely not yeah I'll, i'll be putting one in my truck definitely um won't be quite as easily they don't just make a right hand drive kit for uh my truck but uh not too hard to get it all sorted out but definitely i think you know money well spent so um you know four wheel drive uh you know they run a new process 205 was that in pretty good nick did you have to rebuild the transfer case what what was the story with that so uh, this is uh this is this was one probably one of the biggest headaches of the build um MP205s are a very sought-after transfer case, um, being gear-driven, no chains. Um, basically, the bulletproof transfer case, the uh, the big mudslingers in America love them, so they're either all caught up in that or in Australia, we use them in, um, you know, your uh, winch trucking sort of style racing and um, Oz4 and things like that. They're just, a, you know, whether it be an Atlas or a, NP205, they're a very sought-after transfer case. And um, the problem when the chassis and motor and all that ran, um, rolled down the motorway, sorry, um, it actually broke the adapter plate off the front of the transfer case, which is, uh, you know, your standard turbo 350, 400, 700R4, four-bolt flange to the NP205 flange. It was actually almost cheaper and it, it wasn't cheaper, but it wasn't much more for me to buy a full, complete transfer case from um, Yukon Industries in Victoria. Uh, I think that's what they're called. Um, it was going to be something like $500 Australian landed for that one adapter, plus bearings and all that sort of thing. And I landed a transfer case to my door for $1,100 with that adapter hanging off it. My transfer case was already rebuilt. So I basically, and it hadn't been, you know, driven or anything like that. So I took all the seals and necessary parts that I needed after customs had made an abortion of the transfer cases I bought because obviously they acid dipped it and did whatever else they do to it and made the bearings were rusted. It was just, it was, it was junk. So I stripped it down basically and put the parts out of my transfer case that I already had into it. And I've still got my other transfer cases to spare and I've already been approached for people trying to buy that off me, but I just... I'm not going to part with it until at least I get some K's on the car and know that my transfer case is good. Yeah, that's the go, isn't it? Have some spares and, and know that you kind of, especially how hard it is to get those parts. They're just a, yeah, like I said, they're just a very sought-after thing and they're becoming more and more rare. And I did a um, a twin-stick conversion in it, so I don't know what Land Cruiser you've got, but you'd be aware that some Land Cruisers are uh, constant four-wheel drive. Well, that's sort of how the... Uh, the factory NP205 works, so it's either high range, neutral, low range. So your front power shaft is essentially always spinning. You just got to get out and lock the hubs. Um, so I bought a twin stick conversion from a fabrication mob in the States. Uh, gave me a lot nicer look, gave me, you know, nice big twin. You would have seen it on my Instagram. 
yep. twin uh, stainless steel handles and you know nice rubber boot for the deck, and it's it's made to go into that car. So um, it was a very straightforward process at the start. Turned out not to be a very straightforward process, and I ended up having to cut and move the handles to suit the factory hole in the floor. Um, I contacted the company I bought it off and said, what, what's to go with this? Why Why has this happened? Um, they couldn't give me an answer, but it was sake of a couple of hours of work on the TIG welder and just a bit of stainless work and moved them to the right spot. And um, Installing the kit on the transfer case was a lot harder than a couple of hours' work, but um, paid off again because now I can run either just front-wheel drive or just rear-wheel drive or both, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, I've I've got two Land Cruisers actually. I got a I got an old seventy five series one um, HZ with a hundred and well, six hundred and twenty thousand Ks on it and still going. It's a beauty, and um, and I got an eighty series too. So yeah, they they both run a twin stick. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. No, the the older Land Cruisers are the good ones. Um, I had I, my eighty series was my third car that I had. When I was a younger fella. Yeah, can't go wrong. I, it's funny because I, I had my 75 series. I've had that for six or seven years and it's just my daily beta work truck and, you know, it's it's a non-turbo so, it, you know, it gets the job done but doesn't get there fast. And and then I bought the 80 series probably only six months ago just uh, for a bit more room for camping and dogs and, you know, the wife drives that every day now and it, it's got the 1HDT in it and holy crap, it makes a difference. So much better. Yeah, mate, the one HDT, as you would know, they're a sought-after motor as well, like the FTEs. Yeah, yeah. If if I could find one at the right price, I'd I'd probably just sling it into my Ute because it just makes such a fucking huge difference just day-to-day driving. Like even without worrying about towing, but just just to be able to overtake someone going up a hill is very nice. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I've I've been in plenty of one uh, HDTs. I think they are in the eighties and. Got a couple of mates that have got the 100 series up here in Queensland with uh, solid axle converted. They've put, you know, the Sahara bodies off the 100 series onto the 105 series chassis and they've got the FTE motors in them and they're making, uh, one of my mates is making 400 and something horsepower at the rear wheels in the 100 series. Wow, that's a, that's a nice rig. Yeah, we call it the party bus. It's uh, a good time up Fraser Island, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, cool. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about the exhaust system because I, you know, as you said, you you hand built that yourself. Um, looks like it's all stainless. And how how did you go about that? Like, did you you buy like a a whole bunch of parts in a semi semi kit and then worked out how you want it? And just that's just a lot of hours putting that together. No, mate, no kit whatsoever. Um, just uh, being a fridgey. Um, we have a sheet metal division at work, so they do a lot of stainless, you know, building fridges, custom fridges, display cases, and stuff for us. So they um, do a lot of, like, pretty much everything they do is all my stainless. So um, went through them and got all my parts cheap through um, a mob called Sterling's in Brisbane. Um, they're probably everywhere else in show, I don't know, but uh, just bought, you know. Uh, I got twin two-and-a-half-inch, um, so two-and-a-half-inch from my Summit extractors to through it through a uh, X-pipe, so you don't get the whole um, old V8 sounds. It sounds like a modern-day V8. Um, and comes out of the X-pipe, back two and a half inches again, to um, two, three-inch uh, Aeroflow stainless steel mufflers, and then just three-inch dumps straight after that before the diff. Nice, yeah, that, that'll have a nice rumble. Yeah, I was, mate, I had a smile from ear to ear the first time I heard it, and um, eventually I will put a video on my Instagram one side because I didn't run it for long being, having no cooler or anything I just started and you know yep everything works everything operates turned it off so um, I've got a holiday coming up next week but after that I, when I get home I'll um, I'll uh, be putting coolant and stuff in the cooling system uh, my latest post on my Instagram page shows that I've just finished all that and done all the power steering cooler on the front and the, the radiator and condenser and all that sort of thing because I've got my, rad, my radiator support in the guards back from the panel shop last weekend so yeah i was busy last weekend fitting fitting all the front end onto the car yeah mm, awesome no it looks good so one question i had for you um that i found maybe surprising I don't, i'm not sure but you you opted to leave the fuel tank behind the seat in the cab is that did you consider moving that 
outside or, or were you just happy for that to stay there? Look, would have loved to have had a nice custom 100-litre tank sitting in the arse end of the car. Um, and I was going to make one myself. I was going to get it, you know, obviously sheet metal guys at work and fold it and weld it and all that crap, put baffles in it. They've made fuel tanks for the boats and crap plenty of times before. Um, the reason I didn't do it was, one, I didn't want a filler in the middle of the tray. Um, there is options to, you know, not chassis, run filler necks up the side and pop pop um, pop indicators out and all those things that everyone would know that owns a Chevy pickup, um, tail light flip downs, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, probably, probably numerous other ways you could do it. Um, would have been a very easy option. I mean, uh, in the end, I um, spoke to a couple of people and, you know, I said, you know, is it dangerous having a fuel tank behind the seat? You know, or in the cabin. I said, well, it's probably the safest spot for it to be considering... Uh, you know, it's in with you. So if you have a rear end collision, it's a long way away from that. And if you have a front end collision, it's a long way away from that. And I said, well, I suppose that's one way I put it. So I modernised it and got rid of every single factory barb that was on the... So it was a brand new fuel tank. So sent it to a um, bloke I know, um, Craig, extreme custom engineering fabrication in Queensland here and got him to weld um, all speed flow... Um, uh, AN, I guess you would call it, AN-style threaded fittings on it so that I could run speed flow, you know, speed flow fittings off it so it's got a, you know, um, supply fuel. So um, it's obviously being a fuel injection, it's got over fuel return now. So it goes from the fuel tank to a uh, carter pump, from a carter pump to a surge tank. Um, has a uh, Bosch uh, 044 that feeds the Holy Sniper and then obviously... There's a return line that comes back and does all its magic and goes back to the fuel tank, and then I'll put a, a rollover vent um, welded on top of the fuel tank as well, and then ran a fuel line, uh, ran you know speed line, speed flow fittings off that down to the back of the car. So if the car was for whatever reason to ever roll, there'd be no fuel inside the cab. Um, there's no fuel smell. Uh, ran 200 series lines, so it's all um, nylon lines, so that you know you'll never get a fuel smell inside the cab and I've already proven that, you know, numerous days of working on the car in the sun and I walk to the back of the car and there's a bit of wind up and well, you can smell fuel because of the breeze at the back of the car and uh, inside the cab there's no worries at all. Um, I also deleted the um, factory style bayonet fuel cap fitting and bought a uh, 50 mil threaded um, filler neck with a nice filled aluminium cap from the States um, off Summit. So I welded that on as well so that... Um, yeah, it's you know complete sealed unit and such. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Every everyone does rush to get them out of the cab, and you know I've often thought about it. I mean, the only the only real reason to do it is if you get that fuel smell inside the cab. But I mean, you've obviously putting all that modern style fittings on there is gonna gonna make that you know not happen anyway. But I mean, guys were driving those trucks for. 30 or 40 years, the way they were, no one dropped dead from it, as far as I'm aware, so it's not that big a deal. Well, that's what, that's exactly what my mate said. He said, why why reinvent the wheel? Why, you know, spend an extra couple of months getting a tank built, mounting the tank, moving the tank to the back of the car, obviously, and, you know, then you got to get the, the cab. Well, I could have bought a, a brother's truck cap to fill the hole in the cab. It's just a bolting cap that they do to fill the factory hole, but... um. I just, mate, yeah, I got to the stage of it actually being drawn up in CNC and everything like that uh, in CAD, ready to get laser cut out and then for the sheeties that work to fold it and weld it and all that and um, just um, pulled the pin and decided to mount the spare wheel up in the same spot and set it at the back of the chassis. So I've got to make a mount for that yet. So when the, um, the tub itself comes back off again now and gets sandblasted, I'll actually make a mount to mount the... 35-inch tyre and rim on a, a winch-style spare wheel holder that you would just get out of a highlight or something from the records. So probably just put, yeah, Land Cruiser 1 or something like that in the back of it with a um, number plate already flips down anyway because it's got a tow bar in it. So it's got a hideaway tow bar system in it. So, um, yeah, when you flip the number plate down, you just throw a rod through there and mold the spare wheel down if you ever need it rather than having the spare wheel mounted in the in the tub or floating around in the tub as such because I don't really want to lose that much room. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, the spare wheel is always the biggest pain in the ass. I, I I run 33s on my Ute, and I had mine when I when I first bought it. It had a really shit tray on it, and it just the spare tire was always in the tray, and it was taking up space. And yeah, it's a nightmare. And you know, once you once you got a big tire like that, trying to put them up underneath quite often, it just becomes a bit of a pain in the ass. But I, I guess being a long bed, you got a bit of space in there, and you can get it up nice and tight. Yeah, I never really. There's a couple of things I. I haven't understood that people do with these American trucks, and that's one is convert them to right-hand drive, and two is go. Why the hell do they always want a, sh- a short bed? Is it a, a fascination? But to me, I prefer a long bed. I don't know. Like it's an American truck. It's a big long truck. You know, um, I'm going to actually use mine. I'm, I'm going to take it camping, and to an extent, I'm not going to take it on the beach or anything like that. Not at this stage, anyway. And you know, I want to be able to throw swag, and you know, the angle in the back and stuff like that, and you know, go away somewhere for the weekend or go on a big long road trip and have the room as such. And I just love like looking at the tub on it and no other car these days has a tub that big, you know what I mean? Unless it's custom. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you look at the, the typical Aussie bloke now has got a dual cab, um, you know, whether it's a, a Hilux or a, you know, an Amarok or something. And, yeah, I mean, you can barely put a bike in the back of them. They're so small. Yep. Um, experiencing that right now. The Hilux I just bought, um, the missus just bought. So, yeah, got two. we've got two dirt blocks that we can't fit in the back of it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you yeah. start taking, taking trailer again. <laughs> yeah, I, I laugh when I see it. It's, you know, like, I, I mean, because I've I got a single cab and, you know, some days I wish I didn't have a single cab because I'm six foot four and I struggle with a bit of leg room. But, you know, then you're trying to throw big stuff on the tray and it fits, and you're like, well, you know, that's the, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two, but it's you know, Ute's made for putting stuff in the back of, and you see so many guys in dual cabs and they're having to tow stuff on a trailer. It's like, well, it's kind of not worth having a Ute. You might as well have got yourself a wagon or something. Just like putting a hard nut on a Ute. <laughs> yeah, yes. <yeah. laughs> so, um. Uh- so the seat, I, I saw you, you know, you got a square body seat, which sounds like came with it when you bought it anyway, and, and you've had that retrim, looks really nice. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to see this truck finish. There's, there's not a lot of K10s in Australia that I know of. And and the fact that, you know, like you say, you, you plan on taking it camping, and I really hope you do because you're making it so nice, it's, it's going to be scary to take it off the road. But I, I'm assuming it's going to get a bit of treatment. Oh, mate, like, I'm planning, I think it, it's uh, it's an easy choice to get it ceramic coated, um, even if it, you know, it is as expensive as it is. I have thought about doing clear vinyl wrap, you know, um, in the lower half of the car, so it's not seen, but, it, you know, a bit of paint protection. But I've got that many friends in um, automotive painting. I just, they just say to me, ah. Oh, just use it, abuse it, and do a respray, and then in a couple of years, just do a closed door respray every couple of years. And I'm like, well, you know, that's all good and well for a couple of grand, but why not try and prevent the damage before the damage happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. I got a mate that bought a brand new Ranger a few years ago, and and he went straight out and had it matte black wrapped, and you know his his whole thing was that it'll protect the paint, and then I can peel it off at the end and sell it or whatever, but. It cost him like four grand to get it wrapped properly. Yeah. Yep. That's not cheap. Yeah, it's interesting. So, are you gonna are you gonna run full rego on this, or are you gonna do sort of like a club rego? What What's the plan? How often do you think you'll drive it? I was actually having this conversation with a mate the other day. So I've got a lot of mates that have got old, um, like old Holdens, Tunners, um, you know, NHs, stuff like that, and we all. Um, we all have this conversation quite regularly and, you know, can we, can we risk having Club Rego and, you know, cheat the system? Like, and I'm sure every Australian would love to do because no one wants to pay, well, in Queensland, I think it'd be almost $1,200 now for a V8 Rego for a year. Yeah, it's, it's getting so expensive. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, I, as back to your question about how often I want to drive it, I think when I first get it on the road, I'll probably just do six months to a year of full bridge um, for tuning and, you know, get the get the bug out of my system of wanting to drive the car every weekend and, you know, it's going to be a new thing. It's like a, 
you know, it, I'm sure it'll wear off eventually where, you, you know, you might dial it back a bit. Who knows? I may, I may never may never not dial it back. I may just love the car that much that I want to be in it every weekend. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't, you know, being, like you said, such a rare car, I only know of, um, I'm the only person that I know of with a K10 in Australia. There's a few with K20s. Um, there's a few with Blazers, Suburbans and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I've I've searched high and low. Shannon's insurance didn't even have a listing for um, a K10. So no, they, nobody's ever rang them up about a K10. So that was also pretty promising. So, yeah, it makes me um, pretty pleased, you know, even if I am not the only one out there, that there isn't, they're not a well-known thing. And I often have to explain to people what a K10 is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean... <laughs> I mean, we should just say. I mean, if if people are listening, maybe maybe they don't know either. But I mean, you've a C tens a two wheel drive Chevy pickup, and a, a K is basically the um, K ten is a four wheel drive, pretty much, isn't it? Yep, yep. So you know, there's the C ten twenty thirty K, C K ten twenty thirty. Um, you know, half ton, quarter ton. Um, so half ton, three quarter ton, one ton. I think that's the variance, and it's probably the same with the C10s. Um, really, the only thing that changes is obviously uh, your diffs. Um, in the C20, uh, sorry, in the K20s, they go to a Dana 60 front diff as opposed to a Dana 44 that I have. Uh, I'm quite happy to have this, the K10 because I have six studs, so it's a lot easier to buy wheels in Australia, obviously. Um, and the guys I know that have K20s are, you know, bit, bit, sort of. What the car came with is what I keep unless I bring something in from America. Yeah, the eight stud makes it. I, I run C20 suspension in my truck, and yeah, find an eight stud stuff, it's it's a different ball game. Oh, so you have eight studs? Yeah, so my mine's is a, a 1950 truck, but uh, all the suspension in it is out of a C20, so... I've upgraded it, so I've got an independent front suspension, and um, it's got the 14-bolt rear end that'll... That'll have a uh, uh, four-bar um, airbag system in it, but uh, yeah, it's it's all eight stud. So, I mean, I'm running the big Alcoas, so I, I got some custom ones made to fit them, and it, it all runs pretty well. But you know, if you if you were just doing a C20 and you and you wanted sort of standardised rims, it, it just makes life a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always the option of just getting wheel wheel adapters as well. Yeah, you you can do it. They're, they're not legal in Australia, but you can no. certainly do it. Um, oh, yeah, they're not legal or safe, I would say, either. Yeah, no, that's right. And I, I remember buying, I think when I bought my first Hilux, which was like a 84, 85 model, I can't remember. But uh, I remember pulling the Sunraisers off that the first time, and it had these probably about a quarter-inch wheel spaces in it. And I, I really didn't understand at the time, but, you know, the more and more I learned about it, it's like, you know, I know a lot of people run that sort of stuff, but it's yeah, it's it's not legal for a reason. Yeah, when you uh, there's a fellow I follow on Instagram in the states. Um, he'll probably listen to this after uh, it gets published. Um, he um, him and his brother built a very very nice C, uh, K10, and uh, he forgot to do up the inner wheel nuts on the on the so he forgot to do up the wheel nuts to torque or something like that on the on the spacer, and then. Uh, you know, the ones that hold the wheel on, he did them upside and actually lost the wheel and everything and it made a mess of his nice paint job and all that. And not long after he got the car on the road and I, you know, I was like, oh, God. But uh, just quietly, Americans are rough. <laughs> yeah, can, can be, can be. <laughs> so so coming from a bit of an off-road and, and comp truck kind of background, you know, are we, are we going to be talking about a custom bull bar with a winch? What What's the plan for the front end? Yeah, look... Um, I'm sort of right now the whole build is built to be keep it original um, obviously other than a, a few mod cons um, but still you know we've got the 350 uh, we've got original paint um, yeah like haven't I've still got like when I bought the car it came with pretty much everything brand new so the guy I bought it off when he bought it in from the state, he drove it, put it in a container, jumped back in his hire car, 
drove around to LNC <laughs> truck or wherever he drove around to, all the mobs and spent like, oh, I think near on 20 grand. And I'm talking brand new bumpers, trims, you name it, everything brand new. Like he went to whatever this, this is also when it was dollar for dollar, I should say. Um, and uh, he just, you know, opened up a book and tick a pay, tick, 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 and just opted for everything, you know, except for, you know, the major things like diffs and its chassis and that sort of thing. And I've just been slowly, you know, I've obviously got all that all that stuff with the car and I've just slowly been, you know, bolting that onto the car as time, you know, as time goes on. And because I didn't pull the car down, it makes it a lot harder. I don't have any fudders to how the car came apart. So sometimes it takes me a week to research something where it goes or, you know, I put the car together and I go, oh, shit, that needed to go in first. Pull that back out. So, yeah, that's another reason why it's taken me so long to build a car. Um, I always learn when I pull things apart, I you know, buy a camera or buy a, cam- an, a brand new SD card and just take a photo of everything that you could possibly need. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes it tricky. I, um, I, I'm just having a quick look through my Instagram messages, but I, I had a guy named Kevin Whips on the podcast a while ago and, uh, you know, he's written a couple of books on on building these old trucks, and he sent me one of his books, and I've got a feeling it is, it has the um, the it's the sixty eight to seventy two truck book, and I might have a look see if I can find it. I'll send it to you so you can, you know, bit of detailed information on on some of the stuff. I mean, I know it's a K ten, but you know, as far as the cabin stuff goes, it's all pretty much the same. Yeah, it is all pretty much the same. I actually do have a factory. Um, I bought it off Brothers Brothers Trucks in America. I have the factory um, workshop manual, you would say, and it it's it's a very someone they they've found it in you know barn find as such and just photocopied all the pages and then so as as you're flicking through the pages kind of thing, there's no numbers, there's no index that sort of thing, and you know if you find something, it's as good as reading. Uh, a yellow photocopy. I don't know really how to explain it. Um, I'll send you a photo and you'll see what I mean, but it's about three inches thick. Um, it, it takes me longer to find something in there than it does for me to Google it. So it's, it's actually just become a, a, sitting on the shelf collecting dust. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, cool. No, that's awesome, mate. Well, you know, I, I probably shouldn't ask you, but I will. But, you know, how... Do you have a date when you think this thing will be done? Look, if I, if I keep going as strong as I'm going now, like I definitely think I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Um, there's only going to be really one hold up for me from here, and that's paint and panel. Um, but, I mean, I can get from, you know, everything on that car done now, except for mounting the tub and mounting the, and, and bolting the bonnet on because those are the only two things that need to be painted. So I've got everything I need to complete that car. Um, I did my last order from LMC truck about a, a couple of weeks ago now and it was very expensive. So, you know, just niddly little things, clips, all that sort of crap, um, rubbers and, you know, um, I had to get a new windscreen over the other day because Amanda made a attempt to put out the windscreen in and we got it in and then it tore in the corner. It might've been an old rubber. I mean, it wasn't old rubber. It's about six years old, but um, anyway, I ended up paying a professional windscreen guy to come out and fit the front rear window. And look, I mean, the car runs and drives and all that sort of thing now. Um, it's just a lot of, uh, you know, it's going to be mounting guards, inner guards, that sort of thing, you know, gapping stuff. Um, I mean, I've done the door latches and all that. The window winding mechanisms are inside the doors. Um, I've rebuilt the quarter glasses, put all new rubber seals through them already. So there's a lot of just, just um, times. Times a big thing for me right now. Like I, I usually work on the car at night times, but I'm doing big days at work, and it's just like I come home and it's the last thing I want to do. So look, if I was to, ideally, I've got my mate's wedding in the end of October. Oh, that's what I was trying for. Um, so we're looking at you know forty odd days. So it's it's probably unrealistic, but yeah, look, it'd be nice. Yeah, it's and until you're building one and, and you're putting the time in, you you can't real you can't really understand how much time everything takes. Like 
something that you think will just be a, I will just bolt that on or we'll do this or do that, you know, like there's a broken bolt or it doesn't quite fit and, you know, it turns into a half a day job and, and every every little thing you do is an hour. Like it's it's phenomenal how much time goes into these builds and, and I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, you know, you're I guess in some ways you're blessed because you're building a truck back to its sort of original specs and you know i look at guys who are doing a custom build sort of like what i'm doing and you know we're kind of reinventing the wheel as well as putting it all together so you've got to kind of you got to work stuff out how it's even going to work before you can even make it work and man the, the hours that i lose just doing a basic thing on my truck it just blows my mind and and i've i haven't recorded every hour that i've spent on it and i wish i had because it would be really good to know yeah, I often wish I I record every cent that I spend on my car. Um, just not because I care. Um, the money side of things, I've always said the money side of things when it comes to that car, I don't care. Like it, if if one part's fifty dollars and it's it's good, the other part's a hundred dollars and it's the best. But I'll just just like we were like we were talking about before the podcast started, just don't want to skip corners, cut corners, sort of thing. So. Um, yeah, look, I understand the whole, you know, your airbag boys. You like, I, I do like that sort of thing. Don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd probably look at buying a, a C10 down the track and doing something similar, and as well having a C10 next to my K10, same era. Um, this is a dream of mine. I've actually got C10 number plates already purchased, sitting here on the shelf next to me now, ready to go. So I've got K10 number plates and C10 number plates. So it's just something I want to do is buy a C10, and you know. But I'd probably try to look for one that's already done because I don't want to lose the time I've lost building another car like I have with this K10. Yeah, it's 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 a struggle to keep, like you say, keep the passion. You know, I, I go through periods of time where I won't, or maybe I won't touch my truck for a month, and then I'll be like, "Come on, you know, you're never going to drive this thing if you don't work on it." And so you got to pipe yourself up. But then when a new part arrives in the mail, or you know, you know, for me when I got my airbags here, I was like, "All right, it's time. Let's just make this happen." And and all of a sudden you get a new surge of energy and you know and it's great but yeah it can be hard after you know you've done a full day at work and you get home and and then to drag yourself out in the shed and and get the grinder out or or whatever it is i mean i can't imagine doing the wiring that you did like i hate wiring i hate i hate it so much but i can see like i know how what's involved and you know you you would have had days in that wiring uh coming near on a month yeah oh jesus like in out test fitting, um, yeah, those are interesting. If you want to have a look at how much like time I spent on the on the wiring go on my Instagram and have a look at like there was you know I cut most of the factory plugs like they American Auto wire just give you the exact same plugs that came out in the car from you know 1970 but brand new obviously. And I look at how that plug was made, it's dodgy and the connections are crappy. So I often would just go cut, cut, Deutsch plug. Um, I don't know, most people should know what a Deutsch plug is, but it's a pretty common thing these days. It's on the back of most spotlights on your cars and stuff. And they're, you know, a waterproof connector that is, in my opinion, the best thing ever made um, in the automotive industry. Um, so, yeah, I just, if you look underneath my dash, there's just Deutsch plugs everywhere. Um, so, yeah, that's that's... Yeah, I didn't, like, I could have done it a lot easier. I could have just thrown the American Auto Wire harness in, got that side of thing sorted, and then done a separate harness for the sniper as such. But instead I marked out with masking tape every nook and cranny where everything needed to be and ran all the wires, tied it all in, and people will see that if they look at the photos. So that, you know, it's one harness. So that whole harness with about five to six plugs just comes out of the car. So for whatever reason, if I want to do an upgrade down the track or something like that, I can buy another dash harness off American Auto Wire and start again. So that was the plan if I ever went to an LS or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just like, all, like I said earlier, all my wiring and relays and stuff like that for the sniper, for fuel pumps, thermo fans, transmission cooler fans. Um, you know, I put a, I put a, um, I think it's a 4L80 neutral safety switch on a 700 
R4, so I had to modify the shaft and stuff like that on the gearbox so that, you know, the car doesn't start in drive and stuff like that, but it also has a reverse light output, just things like that. So there's, you know, weeks of work just in that itself and, you know, running extra wires, tying into the rear harness and stuff like that. Yeah, and trying to also hide everything. That was the hardest part. So, yeah, you'll see I'm... You, you would have already seen Michael on my Instagram, my relay board I made up next to my um, next to my brake, um, you know, where your brake mounts underneath the dash. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a clean finish and, yeah, like you say, up, upgrading the plugs. And, I mean, you know, if you're building a truck with a plan to sell and flip it, you, you don't go to those details, you know, like you don't spend that time, but, you know, like you said to me, you're building this truck and you're never going to sell it, and, and and I hope you never do. I speak to so many people who who built their dream truck and they took it to the first show, and then some guy with a fat wallet just offered them stupid money and they sell it, and it sounds like that's not going to happen. But uh, no, you're building it, you're building it right, and you're building it the way you want it, and you know I I think all the all the hard work's going to pay off, and you know I really hope. Whether you make it by October or, or whether it's a bit later down the track, mate, it'll it'll be totally worth it, and it's going to be a very unique vehicle here in Australia. Yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Um, that's what that's what I want, mate. Like you know, like we said, like I said earlier on, I've grown up around cars my whole life, and going to car shows my whole life is something I did a lot when I was younger. And uh, if I seen this car when I was a kid, mate, I probably yeah, I would have fallen over backwards. Like when, you know, my younger days, and my pea play days, I would have been like, this thing is cool. Like everybody thinks it's an F truck. Um, I mean, I can't blame them. You know, it's from the same era. They don't look the same, in my opinion. But everyone just thinks, oh, you know, your F truck. And they say to me, oh, how's your F truck come along? Like I don't own a Ford, I own a Chevy. <laughs> difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big difference. Cool. All right, Mitch. Well, mate, thanks for chatting. Um, you know, awesome, awesome to hear about it. And we, we do do a bit of a builder's catch-up uh, podcast every now and then and sort of guys who are, you know, that we speak to that are in the build and, and we go back and see how they're going or, or if they finish, we have a bit of a chat about it. So we might hit you up again in a month or two and, and see where you're at. But, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time and, and, and also your talents, you know, like you – you, you've got your hands dirty, you've broken your nails and you've you've bled all over this thing, no doubt. And, you know, you've done every bit you can yourself and, and I really uh, I really admire that. And I, you know, when, you, when you're driving it down the street, you know, no one can take that away from you, mate. So great job and look forward to seeing it on the road. Yeah, like they say, hey, built, not bought. Built, not bought. All right, Mitch, cheers, mate. Thank you very much, mate. See you later. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad. So please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.